Is your organization mature, established, old? Is it bureaucratic, hierarchical? Does it have a way of doing things, a so-called proven process? Is that way of doing things slow? Does that proven process deliver results? In today's episode, we discuss how to run your marketing organization like a startup, even if it's mature, established, old, bureaucratic, and hierarchical. Our guest today is Jaron Rubenstein, creator of Ruby Apps, a content marketing and collaboration platform, and founder and president of Rubenstein Tech, an enterprise software firm. Jaron, welcome back to Ruby Apps Insights. Thank you, Alex. Thrilled to be here. <laughs> All right. You recently wrote about how marketing organizations can run like startups. What was the inspiration for this thought piece? You know, I've been in the technology space for, for a long time. It's uh, astounding to hear myself say it, but, but decades at this point. And uh, those involved in technology and those who observe technology see how quickly it evolves. And the pace of evolution, the pace of innovation in the tech space, um, surprisingly keeps increasing. I, I, I visualize it as sort of a hockey stick graph where... The, the pace of innovation and technology, and, and particularly marketing technology, is just skyrocketing. And what I see is that uh, our, our clients, our partners, people I know in various sectors are struggling to keep up. They just can't uh, keep up with that pace. And uh, both They're not speed skaters, if you will, working on the hockey analogy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's more. It's more figure skating. <laughs> it's more art than, than speed, yeah. And I think that they, um, they're looking for uh, ways to adopt these technologies, to use them, to leverage them, to do something um, <laughs> productive with them, uh, and, and keeping up is a challenge. And so um, in thinking about that and thinking about how we've uh, maintained our edge over the past nearly 17 years we've been in business here at Rubenstein Tech and Ruby Apps, I, I thought a lot about the techniques that we've been able to leverage um, and the, you know, the learnings that we've had from others in the tech sector, really, that keep us, that, are, that enable us to stay up to date and on the edge. You know, for us, we even have to be one or two steps ahead of, of our clients, at least, and, you know, certainly much more on the edge of technology, because um, we're working on things today that, you know, our clients are going to want in six months or 12 months or even 18 months from now. So one of the interesting things about the piece is that it seems like, or at least you frame it, for there to be two parallel paths of startups and then mature organizations. And one of the implicit themes that I see running up again and again is around this notion of perception or misperception with the idea that startups and mature companies are inherently dissimilar. You know, there's, there's a lot of similarities between the two organizations, and as I've learn more and more about many different sizes and types of organizations through working with them over the years. Um, I've seen that there are there are definitely common threads. They're just um, they're observed or discussed or talked about differently. So you know, startups tend to have you know when you think about startup, you're thinking about a small organization as small as possible that has funding um, or or whether they're self-funded or they have outside funding. Um, they have severe uh, constraints around capital, around resources. Um, you know, it's rare that one person 
has one job. <laughs> Generally, people are wearing multiple hats. Um, large organizations, they do tend to be able to have more specialists where someone is focused on one thing. Um, so I think team size is a big part of it. Uh, and I think that the number of people that you have to interact and communicate and get buy-in from is different at a, 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 at a startup organization than it is at a large organization. So th there's lots of different dynamics between them, but there's also a lot of common threads. And what we've seen work really well is when um, even larger organizations create smaller uh, teams and let them operate with a more uh, agile mindset. The idea of these dynamics, and I want to dip into them and actually extract them a little bit, because you mentioned some of them. You talk about things like resource constraints, aggressive deadlines. Well, you didn't mention that, but I know that that's in the article. Multitasking, and then things like pressure. These are inherent in startups, but the irony is that you'll find them as well in mature organizations, and that is one of the ways in which they're actually similar. Exactly, exactly, and and I don't know that um, that the language is the same. That you know, when a large organization might talk about, you know, we have a budget, and we need to hit our budget this year, uh, but, but a startup is thinking, you know, we have a runway of six months, and if we do not succeed or if we do not hit our milestones in six months, there will be no company in month seven. Um, and so there's different level of pressure, perhaps, but there's that same, that same sort of constraint. I think in a larger organization, the fear might be if, if we exceed our budget or don't show the results we need to, you know, we might be out of a job or we might lose funding for future initiatives next year. So there's, there's similar concerns. They're just they're, they're, they're discussed differently. Right. So you mentioned that a, a few times. I think one of the other things that might be worth raising to the fore is not just the language in which they're referred to by, but the notion of cultural dissimilarity or the associations that people have culturally with what it means to be a startup versus what it means to be a Fortune 500 professional services firm. I think that you see in, in a Fortune 500 in, larger, in a larger organization, it certainly doesn't have to be that large, <laughs> but in, in a larger organization, you know, anything when you started talking about hundreds of, of, of employees and on up, um, I think that you see that there are um, leaders or innovators that emerge in that environment and don't take the status quo uh, for you know, aren't complacent. They're not, they're not satisfied with, this is the way we've always done it. They're not satisfied with, this is the way it's done here. And instead, they either, either through their own drive and ambition or by looking at other organizations that are able to accomplish more, they bring these ideas into that culture. And I think that's where there's a lot of value that comes out of that, is when you think about things from, an, from that outside perspective or, or with another perspective. Um, and in those organizations, those people that are you know sometimes they're referred to as the movers and shakers they're they are also the ones that rise to the top and people are you know some people are sometimes surprised like wow that person started here and you know a few years ago and now they're here in the organization and and quite frankly that's usually why it happens is because they're willing to to uh take the risk right the calculated risk we can maybe talk a little bit more about that later in our conversation but um take a little bit of a risk but also um uh culturally look at you know what are the what are the elements of our culture that are most important that make us who we are as an organization and and what are and and how can i leverage those to move faster to accomplish more to uh 
um, to to break that the, the parts of the culture that are slowing us down and that are uh, uh, you know that that are impediments to our success short term and long term. One of the words that you used in there was faster, and it seems to me that part of this philosophy that you bring in this thought piece is that speed is critical to progress. It, it absolutely is. And in technology and, and marketing technology, what we see time and time again is that the, the, time to, the time from an idea to launch is so lengthy in many larger organizations that by the time the thing has launched, they've lost the power behind it. They've lost so much of the possible results that would come out of it. And then what happens is folks look at it and say, you know, oh, we, we launched a podcast, but, you know, no one's really listening to it. And why is that? Oh, you know, it, wasn't, it, was, it was a waste of effort. Let's not fund something like that next time. When in reality, the issue is that marketing has this adoption curve. And, and from the consumer, from the consumers of your marketing content, um, there's a peak, there's an excitement, there's something that uh, is, there's a buzz, and you need to capture that in, in, a, in a week, in a month. And when it takes six months or nine months, and then you've lost some, launched something, not only have you lost that excitement at the beginning, um, but you've, you've lost a period where you might have gotten the greatest returns on that marketing investment. So that's right. Listeners at home, we've bottled this podcast up. You need to be excited about it always and continue consuming it so that this effort is not a failure in and of itself. Um, so let's get to some of the recommendations because that's really at the heart of this piece. And you gave five of them that anyone can consider adopting. And the first one is around a framework with testing and iteration at its core. What's this all about? What we found is that you know more mature teams um, do do well with processes and with more defined uh, processes. And so we we've developed um, here on our team uh, uh, a way of thinking about this um, that we call the idea framework. And idea is really a a way to identify, define, execute, and then assess a um, an initiative. Uh, really an initiative, but we're, we're focused again on the marketing, marketing tech side of things. And um, it's not, the, the, the concept isn't, isn't ingenious. <laughs> um, it's, it's, if, in fact, if you look at it, it's probably relatively obvious. Uh, but what we found is that just, just thinking about those four steps when you're executing, when you're implementing a project, when you're, when you're um, developing a project, uh, whatever it is, whether it's something that's like just marketing communications or it's something like a, a new podcast for your, you know, for your, for your team or for your firm. Um, and uh, uh, thinking about those four steps and then most importantly, um, iterating through them over time is where the the greatest successes come from. And in technology, you see it all the time where, you know, version one was was enough. Um, in startups, sometimes they call it the MVP, the minimum viable product. It's it's enough to, uh, to get some customers, to get some buy-in, to get some excitement around what you're doing. Um, but it's not the end-all be-all. And then there's, a, there's iteration and you assess what worked, what didn't and focus in on the things that worked and that you think will work next time, and you experiment. You do it again. You implement version two, and you implement version three, you implement version four. A great well-known example of this might be something like iOS, you know, the, the, which, 
Originally, it wasn't even called iOS. That's a new name. But the operating system behind Apple's iPhone and iPad. Um, you know, some of you remember version 1.0, which was very minimal. It had, it came with a few apps. Some of you may remember iPhones before an app store. Um, it didn't come with much it came, it, relative to today. Uh, and over time, it iterated, it evolved year after year, every six months. There was a cadence to it, and it kept getting improved and improved and improved to the point where, you know, few people can, can live without their smartphone device. And so I think that um, the iteration is the most critical part of it all, and that's where you can hone in on what's working, ignore what's not. Um, too many organizations, too many teams try to knock the ball out of the park at their first at bat. They, you know, they get up to bat and they think they're going to knock it out and that's it. They put all their eggs in that basket and if they don't get that home run, then they've got they've got no eggs left. <laughs> um, I'm mixing metaphors. I'm trying to work with the I'm mixing baseballs and the basket and the Easter yeah. Bunny, but no, that's just that's just fine. You're you're right. So the point there, of course, is get something out there, the MVP, and then continue to evolve it with a cadence over time and as fast as possible and reverting back to the idea framework, the faster and quicker the iteration loops, the more you're cycling, the more you're actually progressing your product forward. So the second one that I think I wanna touch on is trying an agile approach for one project. Agile is a new concept for some perhaps, so let's quickly say what is agile and how would someone apply that to an isolated project? Um, Agile started with the Agile Manifesto, which was a, a software development, I, I guess I would call it paradigm, a way of thinking. It came out of years of things around lean manufacturing and Six Sigma and things like that. It was certainly born in those ideas, um, but it was the, really the idea that historically software is developed with a waterfall model, um, which was very much like that, uh, the, like what I was discussing earlier, where you, you need to, um, you know, you build everything and then you launch it. And however long it takes you to build everything, you're trying to build the perfect product at the end of the process. And Agile is, is an iterative approach, it's an iterative framework to developing that product. There's different implementations, there's, there's an aspect of it called Scrum, um, where uh, it, Scrum is not Agile and Agile is not Scrum, so some software folks will argue about that. But uh, uh, it's a process for iteration and it's a process for doing things. Scrum is the idea that um, you might have a, a two or a three week sprint. You break your project up into smaller chunks, into sprints. At each sprint, at each iteration, you develop what you what, what what's most important at that time to the product and to the end result and you complete those steps and then you uh, ideally release that and gain feedback on it and in your next iteration which is just two or three weeks later you um, you uh, are, are going to focus on what's most important at that time to the product and the learnings you got from previous releases um, to continue to propel the product or the service forward and, um, and, and, and really optimize on what's working versus what's not. The third one, and I'll move through the rest of these pretty quickly, is finding ways to test and fail and fast. Yeah, I, I think that failure is something that's gotten its share of press over the past few years, um, very much so in the, in the tech world, in the startup world. Um, I, I know it's leaked into other sectors as well. And it's interesting, the, the cost of doing these these projects, whatever whatever we're talking about, is you know there's resources, there's time, there's money, um, and of course you're looking for results at the end of the day. 
And, um, what we've seen is that when you can break these larger projects into smaller pieces and test what your test your assumptions test your hypotheses you know i i believe that if we put a form here on the on the website uh we're going to get uh you know business leads uh, uh who will enter their information and and submit it um and that's a that's a hypothesis that's a theory and then we need to test it so let's do it let's put it up on a page and let's see what happens and then when that when that does occur we need to look at well what what kinds of information did we collect? What was the value of that information? Um, should we add additional fields to that form? Should we remove fields from that form? Should we move it to a different place? Should we get rid of it altogether? Um, looking for, assessing and then saying, you know what, this, this failed, this was a bad idea, let's drop the form altogether and let's look at another way to capture potential marketing or business development leads. Um, being willing to, to test and experiment and then fail and fail fast and, and move on to the next thing to test is, um, is, is, is really, I think, a magical idea uh, for, for a, lot of, a lot of folks in marketing. So the fourth one, I think, ties into this as well, which is requesting a small research and development budget to experiment. And hence, you can apply that budget, that money, to these failures. Right. And that's, a, that's an idea that, you know, we thought a little bit about, well, how can an organization that's not um, not open to failing on anything, <laughs> uh, get the ability to fail. How can a marketing team at an organization that expects them to deliver, 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 and you know deliver results on every dollar spent on marketing, how can they get the opportunity to do some of these experiments, to do some of these iterations um, and learn? Because that's where learning, that's where growth happens for a team, for an organization, for, for an initiative. And so, um, we, we believe that one way that marketing teams should be able to do that is to think about it as sort of a research and development and an R&D budget to ask for, uh, you know, some, some, of, some line item in their marketing, um, you know, whether they define it or they, you know, have a specific project in mind to start, whatever it is, but having some figure that is some meaningful amount that they can use for experimentation, for iteration, for failing, for learning without the demand that it have a return without the expectation that it be successful. Um, and, I, and, I, and I believe that doing that will lead to some really valuable insights into what might work and what might not for an organization. And having that freedom to experiment is something that um, I, think, I think marketers need. I think the creative side of marketing needs that ability. So the fifth one, and let's just say, and going back to the hockey reference, that the first four you mentioned send you to the penalty box, and you can't get them done. So the fifth one is around considering newer options for communication. Yeah, I think that the technology world has um, has always been, on, you know, for for the bad for the uh, the the bad reputation that engineers have around their ability to communicate effectively. I think that um, uh, technology has very much been on the edge of communicating faster, more frequently, more often. You know, we went from um, went from emails to uh, yeah. to chat to text messages, back to chat. For some folks, it's a bit too much, uh, and that's another conversation. Um, but we believe that you know a lot of our a lot of teams um, need multiple modes of communication, and. Historically, larger organizations have, have had one, and that's been email. Um, 
And um, email is great, but it, it can be a little too slow for some scenarios. And so uh, more and more organizations we know have been moving to some sort of a real-time chat, uh, whether it be Slack or Jabber or Rocket Chatter. There's so many of these out there. Um, but there's opportunity to, uh, to change the way your teams communicate and as a result, perhaps make better decisions faster as a group. There's also opportunities to look at things like stand-up meetings, um, which, is a, which is a scrum concept where uh, on a perhaps daily basis, um, you have a period, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes, where everyone on the team or everyone on a project connects for a quick update. Um, uh, there's, there's different formats for stand-up, but quite frequently the format is that you start with um, what you worked on uh, yesterday, you talk about what you're planning to work on today, and you identify anything that might be blocking, might um, be an issue that either someone else on the team can help with or someone else on the team just needs to be aware of. Um, and having that sort of touch point on a daily basis, that quick 5, 10, 15 minute sort of connection um, is one way that, uh, that startups and, 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 and smart software development teams are able to keep their pace high while keeping the others on their team informed of what's happening. Using an older and slower option for communication, that being verbal communication, I thank you, Jaron Rubenstein, for joining the Ruby Apps Insights podcast for today's discussion. Thank you for having me, Alex. Always a pleasure to be here in Studio 55. Ruby Apps Insights is recorded at Studio 55 and is hosted by Alexander Kotler. For more insights and detail on Ruby Apps and enterprise software developed by Rubenstein Tech, visit rubyapps.com. Until next time, have an awesome every day.